0: Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, OHSAA Executive Director Doug Ute discusses the decision to expand the number of divisions and the number of championship opportunities across several Ohio high school sports. Also this morning, the Trojans wrap up the regular season tonight against Perrysburg. Findlay High School head coach Jim Rookie will give us a preview. To your health this morning, February is heart month. And even though stroke isn't technically a heart disease, it is one of the most important cardiovascular conditions that you absolutely have to take seriously. And we have another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, February 23rd, 2024. You remember when the story was that one of these days, California was going to break off and fall into the sea with all of the earthquakes and everything that they they have? Well, apparently, it's not California we should have been worrying about. It's the East Coast. New images from NASA are showing that the land that major East Coast cities are built on is sinking. (laughs) Areas from New England to Florida were surveyed using satellite data and ground-based GPS centers to map the motion. And according to their analysis, major cities like New York, Baltimore, Norfolk, Virginia, are all built on land that is sinking. It actually sank between 2007 and 2020. The land sank by an average of one to two millimeters per year. But in some counties... In Delaware, Maryland, Georgia, and South Carolina, they saw their land sink two or three times as fast as that. So, never mind California. (laughs) It's the East Coast that's going to sink to the Atlantic Ocean. That's crazy. I just uh, that jumped out at me when I saw that. Every day we have to have something to worry about, and uh, that is today's story. uh, That (laughs) that we have to worry about. The end is near. I don't know. The old joke is, would we miss it if California fell into the sea? Would we miss it if New York sank into the Atlantic? Ocean? I don't know. Decide for yourself. Um, So, Just something to uh, worry about. Every year, we've got to have something to worry about. This is uh, good news. China is sending a pair of giant pandas to the San Diego Zoo. It looks like a renewal of the panda diplomacy... That China had practiced until last year, when most of the pandas that were on displays at zoos and uh, animal sanctuaries in in this country uh, were ordered to be shipped back home, like the National Zoo in Washington D.C. They uh, packed up the pandas and sent them back to China uh, because China wasn't too happy with us, and that was a you remember that was a big story. Well, now apparently, uh, China is uh, back to loaning out their pandas. Uh, Let's see here. Last year, China uh, expressed their displeasure with some Western nations by ordering their pandas back uh, to uh, China. Zoo Atlanta still has four giant pandas uh, because their contract is not up yet. Uh, But those are the only pandas in this hemisphere as of right now. But uh the new pair will arrive in San Diego soon and so we'll have uh, giant pandas back in San Diego. That was good news. Always like to hear that. Uh so so yesterday the uh, big story one of the big stories uh yesterday was a nationwide out- outage of cellular service. Many of the major carriers of cellular service, to one degree or another, had big outages. Uh, Verizon, Consumer Cellular, and AT&T, I think, had the biggest outage of cellular service. So it was kind of ironic that yesterday, AT&T uh, is pe- uh, petitioning the state of California and other states, but the state of California in particular, to drop their requirement that the company provide landline telephone service to customers who want it. AT&T is actually required, it used to be Ma Bell, AT&T is actually required by law to offer landline service to customers who want it. The company says its landline technology is aging, it's obsolete, demand is very low. Uh, But consumer advocates say that if they were to eliminate landline uh, telephone service, it could leave the most vulnerable people, including many elderly folks, without basic telephone service because uh, especially older people uh, don't have uh, cellular service. And it's kind of interesting that this story should pop up the day after they had this big, huge uh, outage of cellular service. Now, AT&T says it was just a technical glitch. It was uh, figured out. They got it solved within a few hours, but apparently they've launched an investigation. The The government, I don't know if it's the FCC or the Homeland Security or the FBI or uh, who it is, but they're launching a uh, an investigation to make sure it wasn't some sort of cyber attack. So, and I, I don't know, but I can't remember the last time landline telephones were hacked. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm not sure that um, it does say that only 27% of American households still have a traditional landline telephone. So now I don't know if in that 27% it includes voice over IP technology disguised as landline service. Um, or whether we're talking about the plain old copper wires that uh, the traditional landline service, but only 27% of Americans have landline uh, service, so they want to drop it. But just yesterday, we found found out what can happen if landline service, and think about this. I mean, uh, for critical systems, if you rely on cellular technology and it fails, you could be in in big trouble. You think emergency management and and things like that, uh, you would think landline service would still be critical because it's tried and true and uh, it's not really hackable. So I don't know what will come of that, but I thought it was kind of interesting. This day's news of most lasting significance may be this, as Paul Harvey used to say. Researchers at Texas A&M have created a wax coating that could keep fresh produce fresh longer. Researchers combined the wax that is currently used to protect food with a cinnamon bark essential oil to create a new antibacterial wax that they say could help produce fresh produce fight off bacteria and fungi. Dr. Mustafa Akbulut from Texas A&M University says this technology is going to basically help us inactivate the bacteria and fungi and extend the shelf life of fresh produce. This is important because up to 40%, 40% of the food supply in the United States ends up as waste instead of on people's plates. 40%. Uh, is just wasted. So anything that we can do to keep food fresh longer is uh, is big. So this is big news. And I saw this story and the first thing that crossed my mind, who would have thought that in 2024, the greatest, maybe one of the greatest scientific advancements that we would be talking about in the year 2024 would be a new and improved wax of all things. <laughs> It's kind of interesting. And finally, this morning, among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, if you are looking for a job, you're going to have a lot of competition in St. Louis, Denver, San Jose, and most uh, mostly Salt Lake City, Utah. A new analysis from career.io, career website, career.io, New analysis of 100 of America's most populous cities found that Salt Lake has the most competitive job market. An average of 34.9 applicants apply for every highly paid job every day. So nearly 40 applicants per job in Salt Lake City. St. Louis, Denver, San Jose, uh, close behind at 30 applicants per job per day. The least competitive market for high-paying jobs is parkersburg west virginia with an average of no applications per job per day and i'm interesting so if you if you want a better chance at getting a good high-paying job parkersburg west virginia is where you want to go don't go to salt lake uh by the way parkersburg's population has also fallen Nearly 34% since 1960. The most competitive job market in Ohio, Cincinnati, with an average of six applicants per job per day. Toledo is the least competitive city in the Buckeye State with less than one applicant per job per day. Less than one. So, there you go. Where to go to get a job or where your odds are least likely to get a uh, to get a Good paying job. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started.
1: WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly sunny today, high in the mid to upper 40s, partly cloudy tonight, uh, low in the mid 20s. The University of Finley's hard Planetarium hosted an event to talk about the science behind the upcoming total solar eclipse and give people an idea of what to expect that day. UF physics professor Stephen Wilde. I think all
2: people share a, a common wonder of the stars and of space. And this is one of those shared experiences that as people we all can kind of experience together.
1: He says the total solar eclipse will start in Finley a little after 3.10 p.m. on April 8th and last for about 3 minutes and 40 seconds. Get more in the story on our website. Ohio's Blue Ribbon Task Force has released a new report to improve law enforcement training in the Buckeye State. One of the
3: biggest changes the task force is spearheading is officers will have to participate in 48 hours of communication training. A representative with the task force said it's about making sure they're talking to the community and getting to the heart of what's going on when they respond to a scene. The task force was formed last fall and is made up of a group of law enforcement officials from across
1: the state. I'm Andrew Kinsey. The Hancock County Veterans Service Office and Owens Community College will be holding a Veterans Empowerment Fair this weekend. It will be held at Owens Community College on Bright Road in Finley from 10 to 2 on Saturday. The free event will include several resource booths with information on everything from support programs for wellness to finances. All veterans and their friends and family members and community leaders are invited to attend the event in support of local veterans. Get more in the story on our website. The head of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland gave an update on some of the big projects and events happening at the Rock Hall this year.
2: He said construction on the $130 million expansion will continue through the year. But one thing Harris says he's especially excited about is a new exhibit that opens next month. The Revolutionary Women in Music Collective Center exhibit opens to the public on March 8th. But we'll kick off with a special event the night before featuring live performances from Lisa Loeb and Shirley Manson from Garbage.
1: Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com.
0: So now our cover story this morning, this is a terrific time of year. The girls high school basketball postseason tournament is already underway. The boys tournament is about to tip off. And last week, The OHSAA member schools voted to expand the number of divisions and, by extension, the number of championship opportunities across a number of interscholastic sports in the state of Ohio. And joining us this morning is the executive director of the Ohio High School Athletic Association, Doug Ute. And uh, Doug... I know it's a few years ago now that you did this for for football, expanded the number of divisions uh, from six to seven, and it has worked out pretty well. Was that kind of uh, one of the your experience with that? Kind of one of the reasons why the thought came up? Maybe it would be a good idea to look at doing this for other sports. Oh Chris. Well, first of all, thanks for
3: having me uh, this morning, and this has been, you know, we looked, we tracked this this discussion. Uh, deal solely with the disparity that exists in division one and in particular division four from the, uh, the ceiling to the floor, you know, you could take a small division one school Mm. at 346 students participating against a school that might have 1200 students. Right. And uh, is that fair? And so we, we've looked back and, you know, they've had discussions in our office dating way back into the early two thousands. And it's really intensified the last couple of years. And so, Really in no relation to football other than to say, you know, in football, Chris, we have roughly 80, 90 less schools than we have in basketball, but we have seven divisions in football hmm. and only
0: four in basketball. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, interesting point. Yeah. So so what sports are impacted by this and, and how will they change? Kind of lay the basics out here for us.
3: Well, it's our competitive balance sports, uh, basketball, boys, girls, basketball, baseball, softball, volleyball, and soccer. And, and so uh, we've also had discussions about some individual sports and we'll continue those discussions, but we thought it best to stick our conversation to those team sports here in the beginning. But but I, I do want to make it clear that we've had discussion about track and field and and uh, cross country and so on. And we'll continue those discussions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the team sports, those are the team sports that are affected by that. And we're doing it for the kids and it's the disparity we're looking at. And uh, you know, you're in Northwest Ohio there. You, you can look uh, all around the state at, at uh, that disparity. Mm -hmm. And those smaller teams are the ones that very, very seldom even advance into a district final game. It's the larger schools that are doing those. And so, in uh, our conversation with those schools, uh, it's not about winning a state title for them. It's about having a chance to win a couple tournament games and giving their student athletes in their community a chance to go to a regional game or even play in a district final game, right. which are always special to, to those communities. And so. Yeah, so that's what drove our conversation.
0: And, and obviously, as, as you said, it's about providing more championship opportunities and a better balance of postseason competition within each division, because this really will not change anything about the regular athletic season in any of these sports.
3: No, but I think the key to remember here is what I set in my mind over last summer uh, to think about this. If you think about uh, uh, most areas in the state of Ohio, the leagues have changed over the last 10, 20, 30 years. Very true. I and mean, they've changed for one reason. Populations have shifted. Right. I live in Marion County. And, and when I came to Marion Elgin twenty, you know, eight years ago as the high school principal, all four county schools were in the same league. And now goodness sake uh, mm-hmm. there's such a disparity in enrollment right because the populations have shifted and yeah and
0: Marion's not unique it's, yeah. it's happened in Hancock Look, County Hancock County. All over the place yeah. and, going through that right yeah, now with and, uh, the Blanchard Valley Conference what it used to be and what it will be uh, a few years from now will be very different than even what yeah. it is uh, right now and and as you mentioned this prospect of of giving teams a better chance at making deeper runs and giving more schools the chance to potentially win championships is the exciting part because because you'll have uh, more championship games, more divisions. But I wonder, does this also present some challenges on the administrative side for the OHSAA, uh, meaning you know, more venues going to be needed, more yep. officials are going to be needed, that kind of thing?
3: Yes, and, and that challenges exists. We've been working very hard on that. And I always say this, we need to do what's right for the students and the student-athletes in Ohio. And it's our job, uh, you know, as an association, our our district boards, our schools, our member schools, uh, to logistically figure it out. Because for us, the win in this is we need to put our student athletes and their schools in a tournament that they would join that league. Uh, And when you talk about disparity, uh, we're – schools have changed. It's like we were just talking about a second ago. They've changed leagues because Mm. of populations. Right. And, and then we turn right back around and put them in a, a tournament, uh, that they wouldn't play in that league. Yeah. And, uh, and it doesn't make sense. So now, now we're more in line with that, but you're, you're correct. Logistically, you know, for us, uh, you know, it's not possible to come to the University of Dayton and, and play all those semifinal and final games the same weekend. And, but we have already have a model created, and it's called soccer or football. Mm-hmm. We have that, that weekend of championship games. And in soccer, we play our state semifinals out around the state. And, and so, uh, you know, it's just us finding uh, the, the proper venues to put our student-athletes in in a state semifinal game earlier in the week uh, because what we would do is very similar to football where we re-bracket when we get to the final four based on proximity mm-hmm. and, and then pick a site. It's a neutral site, you know, uh, in relation kind of hopefully in between the two schools. Yeah.
0: And it and it's probably good that you have uh, those experiences, those other sports to fall back on because these changes are going to go uh, into effect right away with the next school year, right?
3: Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of one one of the things we did throughout the process is, you know, we we've been talking for a year with the board of directors about this and walking through different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And, and as an, I, as an example, some, you know, there was nobody really as we conducted our six regional meetings around the state for input. And, uh and we, we held those and we always took that discussion back to our board and it, it really helped guide uh, the, 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 the conversation and kind of reaffirm what we had landed on because, uh nobody really argues with, hey, there's a disparity that exists and something needs to be done. But just moving to five divisions does absolutely nothing for that disparity. Right. Or six and you slice the pie a little bit different, that, you know, doesn't impact it enough. And or or seven. And that's kind of how we ended up with 64, 64 and split five equally, because uh, that top 64, there's an enrollment gap after 64 that allows, mm. you, you know, a break. But 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 again, Those top 64 would play in that league. Yeah. Uh, And those next 64s would play in that league. And so uh, the challenge does exist logistically to to provide those good environments.
0: Again, uh, OHSAA Executive Director Doug Youde with us this morning talking about the uh, recently approved uh, expansion of the number of divisions for several high school sports in the state of Ohio. And While we have you here, Doug, I do want to ask you about this because as we mentioned, the uh, tournaments for both boys and girls basketball are getting underway now and the seeding process for the tournament this year was done uh, using the RPI system rather than by the coaches voting system that had been used in the past we'll see how everything plays out as the tournament unfolds but based on what you can see on the brackets are you happy with the results
3: yeah i think i'm happy because i think the basketball coaches are happy and and uh, again you know we we talked about divisional alignment you talk about rpi and a lot of things we do uh, you know, it's not just Doug Utah's as the executive director sitting in his office saying, you know what, we ought to do this. Right? They're member-driven initiatives. And and so our basketball coaches wanted to look at something a little bit different than what they were doing. And uh, we allowed them to come up with the the calculation, you know, the formula on how you calculate who's there. One thing they wanted to say is they don't like the NCAA seating. They want to place themselves on a bracket. And so they were still able to do that. Uh, but I think, you know, with any change... Early on, there was a lot of conversations and those type of things. And there still may be some tweaks in the future. But, you know, for us, uh, I think the initial feedback we're hearing is they really liked this process.
0: We will, again, see how it plays out over the next several weeks. One of my favorite times of the year, uh, OHSAA Executive Director Doug Ute with us this morning. Doug, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
3: All right, Chris. Thanks for having me. Good luck to your teams
0: in the Finley area. Cool basketball action tonight as the Trojans wrap up the regular season against Perrysburg with a chance to avenge one of their few losses earlier in the season and capture an outright league title in their first year in the Northern Lakes League. How cool is that? On the Coach's Corner Wednesday evening, John Marshall spoke with Finlay head coach Jim Rookie.
4: Last weekend, you earned a pair of double-digit wins. Friday, you made the bus ride to Napoleon, bringing home a fifty-one thirty-six win. Maybe not the best game that you played this season, but
5: certainly enough to win. Well, certainly, uh, Brody made a couple big shots. You know, we were we were uh, you know fighting just to stay ahead there, and uh, hit a couple big threes in a row. And Sam hit a big three in the first half and the second half, and. Um, you know, we did, we didn't play real uh, clean in the first half, but we defended well again, and then we're able to kind of get things rolling a little bit in the, in the second half offensively.
4: Hill again led the team with 21 on Saturday as you topped Tiffin Columbia in 48-34. The defense again seems to be the
5: difference. Yes, I think all year long we've we've defended really well. All five guys on the floor do a great job for us, and that's kept us close when things aren't going well offensively and. Eventually, uh, you know, we get a little spurred offensively, and the defense stays there, and um, we're able to, you know, stretch things out a little bit. So you stand at 19 and
4: two, six and one in the Buckeye Division in the Northern Lakes League. You have one more regular season game coming on Friday night, and it's a big one. Of course, it's Senior Night, which is a big deal in its own right. But the the game is anything but trivial. It's the last NLL game of the year against a Perrysburg squad that got the better of you, 40-37, to 37, not quite a month ago. This one is for all the marbles in the league. Win and you're outright champs, a loss, and you share the crown with a Whitmer team that you've twice beaten sound like. This time, you see the Yellow Jackets at home, presumably in front of a big crowd what can you do to turn the tables on perrysburg this time around
5: well i thought we played really hard the last time we competed really well defended pretty well uh very well actually and uh, we just didn't make shots we couldn't make shots couldn't get an offensive flow or rhythm we've we've struggled at times with that here the last month or so but hopefully we'll be able to to get a little bit more of a flow and make make some shots i mean we were you know, I don't know, we missed about 23-point shots last time. and uh, we, we need to we need to just go out and play the way we're capable of playing and free and flow through the game and, and make some threes. The sectional tournament coming
4: next Friday when you'll face Toledo Wait again on your home floor. We'll talk about that <coughs> game next week, but I'd like to ask a general question about the, a change this season. Uh, some coaches I've talked to like the idea of getting a tournament game at home Anytime you can play at home game, that's nice. But others think maybe it diminishes that special atmosphere when you get to go to a neutral site for a tournament game. Any thoughts on that change?
5: Well, we're certainly happy to be playing at home. You know, that's that's nice. But yeah, I, I I'm a more of a traditionalist. I like where you go to a place and there's two games. You know, you get there and the first game's going on, and you know, there's four schools there and crowd and. Uh, uh, I miss that.
0: Yeah, there is nothing like tournament basketball. Tournament begins next week, but for now, you'll catch that regular season finale, Trojans against Perrysburg, tonight from Findlay High School, live on 1330 WFIN, com and 95.5 FM. Coverage beginning at 645. You can follow all of the area action, all of the games, the final weekend of the regular season. Uh, On the WFIN scoreboard page, powered by ScoreStream and presented by Owens Community College, uh, go to WFIN.com slash scoreboard. You can also find the link at our webpage at goodmornings.net. Well, to your health this morning, as we know, February is heart month. And while we often focus on conditions like heart attack and heart failure and so on, this morning we're talking about stroke, which is not a heart disease per se, but certainly is one of the most important cardiovascular conditions that you absolutely do not want to ignore. Uh, Deanna Zuber is a Bayer executive who is also a stroke survivor. So, Deanna, you can speak as authoritatively as anyone on the importance... For all of us to take better care of our overall health and well-being,
6: you know, aside from you know increasing productivity and reducing healthcare costs in terms of every American taking charge of their health. For me personally, it's really all about the quality of life and understanding how self-care and nutrition plays a vital role in our overall health. And being a longstanding employee of over two decades with Bayer Consumer Health. I'm so proud to be watching and living how Bayer is bringing together innovations in agriculture and pharmaceuticals and consumer health to help drive our very mission which is health for all and hunger for none. And it is important you
0: you stress to know not just uh, the warning signs and again this is what we we typically talk about what are the warning signs and so on knowing not just that but also your health history.
6: Absolutely. I mean understanding our health and wellness in general is very empowering um it starts with really listening to your body to detect those warning signs early and so that we can advocate for ourselves and be able to take proactive action for our health you know i'm sure you would agree and we all say when something feels off it usually is and i have personally learned that time does not wait yeah
0: yeah uh, you know, it, it wasn't that many years ago that we rarely use the words stroke survivor together in the same sentence. Talk about your personal, yeah. uh, your personal experience.
6: Absolutely. So like most people, when we're stressed and fatigued, we brush off our symptoms thinking we're tired or we need more sleep or more water. And I am that person that ignored my symptoms that were subtle at the time for almost three years, um, dating back to 2015. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until my symptoms accumulated into an unfortunate ischemic stroke alone in my kitchen. And my symptoms were loss of balance, dizziness, abrupt headaches, blurred vision in my right eye. I had weakness on my left side. I had swelling in the left side of my neck and aphasia. Which is the inability to understand or compute speech. So that brain fog was getting really strong. And when I had that attack, um, I know from learning at Bear and the importance of taking aspirin in the event of a heart attack or stroke, is it really helps thin the blood and prevents clotting. So that it could help by time to get help. And you know, aspirin was that number one source of hope for me. That gave me the peace of mind that help was coming Um a pretty profound moment to be an employee to turn patient and then now consumer of aspirin that helps uh, prevent secondary prevention of strokes in the yeah. future but unfortunately my stroke was related to what's called moyamoya disease which is the narrowing of the blood supply to the brain and because there is no cause or cure for moyamoya. The only source of treatment is often a brain revascularization, which I underwent a double brain bypass back in 2018 using my scalp artery. Wow. And Stanford, um, Stanford Health, yeah, Stanford Health, um, who are the world's known top specialist, Dr. Gary Steinberg, performed my surgery. And, you know, as an employee tying into our overall mission at Bayer for Health for None, I have taken that advocacy to a new level to save lives and spread awareness about stroke By serving as the heart captain at Bayer, I sit on the board of the American Heart Association, Hmm. as well as um, supporting the World Moya Moya Alliance team, and even started my own social media channel called Moya Moya Brave uh, to empower the Moya Moya community. Um, and have the support and care and testing
0: that they need. Yeah, I'm not a doctor, but uh, the term double brain bypass sounds very serious. I mean, that sounds like a, (laughs) you know, that's big. Uh, That's pretty remarkable. (laughs) That's not your ordinary run-of-the-mill kind of operation. Obviously, medical response and treatment of stroke has advanced significantly, but so has preventive care. And I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier about ignoring symptoms. And so talk about how important it is uh, to have the health screenings, the appropriate screenings, um, and, and talking with your healthcare provider when we're talking in the sense of preventative care?
6: It starts with, to be honest, vulnerability, to be honest with yourself that you need to take action to get something checked. And that's something that we often brush aside. We're either too busy or we, we fear the results. And so having access to screenings really help us detect and reduce hidden risk to save you or a loved one's life. I mean, it's all about early detection for treatment is key. You know, when Bear talks about health care and nutrition, they're committed to ensuring every American has access to health screening and health providers as well as educating Americans about the importance of those screenings for preventative care. So talking to your doctor and making sure that, you're tracking or being self-aware of what doesn't feel right mm-hmm. usually means something's not and, and should absolutely take action on that.
0: Uh, as we always say, whenever we talk about medical uh, topics, the best source of information is going to for your you know personal situation is going to be your doctor, your uh, personal medical professionals. But we are uh, also fortunate uh, that we live in an age where there is so much information uh, online, uh, just in a general sense, that can you know kind of bridge that for people who are interested in learning more. Where do we go for more information?
6: Bayer has put together free assessment and education to help learn more about your heart health by visiting checkyourheartrisks.com or you can visit com.
0: And we will link that up on our webpage. Such uh, important information to your health this morning. Bayer executive and stroke survivor Deanna Zuber with us this morning. Deanna, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Uh, all the best to you.
6: Thank you so much. I really appreciate
3: it. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oakes on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 955 FM.
0: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A police detective says he was unnerved to find a U.S. Army rocket launcher along with crack cocaine when searching a suspicious truck in central Massachusetts. Yeah, I think unnerved is a good uh, adjective to use. Unnerved. (laughs) Crack cocaine and a U.S. Army rocket launcher. Detective Alex Sinning Sinny, from the uh, Sutton Police Department tells the Associated Press that his first concern after finding the M-190 launcher under the backseat of the truck. <laughs> was, his first concern was for everyone's safety. Once we were able to determine it was unloaded, we secured it. And then we searched the rest of the vehicle to make sure that there were no explosives or rockets or anything crazy like that. Uh, Mr. Sinny, or Officer Sinney said the driver of the truck was pretty vague about how he got his hands on the rocket launcher and what he planned to do with it. (laughs) They know what he was planning to do with the crack cocaine, I think, but (laughs) (laughs) how did you get a hold of that? Well, um, what do you plan to do with it? Uh, Well, not your everyday ordinary run-of-the-mill traffic stop there. Um, in uh, California, this is Arcadia, California, a homeless man is now behind bars, accused of, see, this is the thing, I mean, he's homeless, he's desperate. He walked into a a Carl's Jr. restaurant, which is uh, basically Hardee's. They call it Carl's Jr. out on the West Coast. But so he walks into the Carl's Jr. restaurant and he asks for uh, a free meal. Do you have any food you can you can give me? The guy's homeless. Uh, he was denied, and so uh, he did what I think any reasonable person would do when you're denied free food at a restaurant. He went outside and set a pickup truck on fire. Uh, the incident happened in the uh, community of Arcadia, about 12 miles east of downtown L.A. Police say that when a, an employee at the restaurant refused to give the man food, He left and returned with a can of gasoline and a lighter. (laughs) Where he got the gasoline, I don't know. If he couldn't afford food, uh, how did he get his hands on gasoline? That's actually, I think, more expensive than food these days. But uh, witnesses told officers the man chased the manager and attempted to set him on fire. Instead, the gasoline ignited a nearby pickup truck. The manager and employees then held the homeless man down... Until officers arrived and placed him under arrest. So, Well, at least he's got a home now. (laughs) He's in jail. Dateline Memphis, Tennessee, where a woman is in jail for striking a teenager at a bus stop. Here's the whole story. A 13-year-old boy and his younger brother were waiting at the bus stop when they were approached by a woman who wanted her son and the younger boy... To fight. (laughs) She just came up and wanted the two of them to duke it out. The uh, older teen, the 13-year-old, would not let his younger brother fight. And so the woman allegedly struck him in the face, knocking him to the ground and kicking him. (laughs) Nice! The incident happened uh, back in December, but the arrest was made just earlier this week by police. Uh, Renia Chris is her name. She is expected to go in front of a judge today. <laughs> nice. I mean, he's just trying to, no, my little brother is not going to fight you. Well, fine. Then I'll fight you. That's... Wow. That's crazy. And finally in the, uh, bro- oh, no, I guess I, I have a couple of other uh, items here in the broken news. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, uh, you were straight here. A couple of other items. This is really... I hope you're not eating breakfast uh, when you hear this story. An unidentified Florida man had 150 live bugs removed from his nose earlier this month. You heard that correctly. 150 live bugs removed from his nose. Doctors in Jacksonville removed the larvae. From the man's nose and sinuses, after he started to complain of constant nosebleeds, uh, there were the uh, the doctor David Carlson said there were certain larvae inside the nose that were scurrying around and looking for places to feed, and others that had burrowed into tissue. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. The uh, team were able to remove the bugs before they made it to the man's brain, which doctors say could have killed him. This is a rare condition, thankfully, called nasal myasis. Uh, The man believes he developed the issue after handling dead fish and failing to properly wash his hands. Wow. If you needed an excuse to wash your hands thoroughly... On a regular basis, that would be it. I mean, I know they said COVID was, you know, the the reason to finally drive the point home to wash your hands uh, on a regular basis. But bugs up your nose, burying, burrowing toward your brain—that should do it. That should do it. If you're not going to wash your hands after that, sorry. Wow. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, you remember the story from uh, Great Britain some weeks ago about the parrots uh, living at Lincolnshire Wildlife Park in Great Britain that uh, they were having trouble with because they were potty mouths. They were swearing all the time. (laughs) Apparently, visitors to the wildlife park uh, had... uh, Had taught the birds, taught the parrots how to swear. And so the uh, zookeepers uh, were having a heck of a time with these parrots. There were eight uh, foul mouthed parrots that they didn't know what to do with. Well, they, a follow up to the story, they have now moved those eight potty mouthed parrots into an enclosure with 92 other birds that demonstrate nicer manners the hope is that the that the parrots the foul-mouthed parrots will clean up their act although zookeepers admit that this plan could backfire (laughs) steve nichols the chief executive of the park says we could end up with 100 swearing parrots on their hands (laughs) <laughs> so if the, the eight foul-mouthed parrots teach the other 92 uh their bad manners then it would backfire but they're hoping it works the other way so far uh it seems to be working the foul-mouthed parrots are not quite as foul-mouthed as they used to be but uh, they do have a new problem on their hands one of the parrots now has been singing We Wish You a Merry Christmas over and over and over again. Well, it could be worse. Uh, They could be singing uh, All I Want for Christmas is You over and over and over again. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.
3: Your home for Cleveland Guardians baseball is WFIN. Scoring from third
4: is Jimenez in the third is Brennan and Miles Straw has tied it up with an RBI single 3-3 game here in the fourth here a
3: select schedule of spring training games all leading up to the season opener on Thursday March 28th at Oakland your home of the Guardians is
0: 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, and the statistics that shape our lives. It appears that even the tooth fairy is not immune from the effects of inflation. However, just like the rest of the economy, where inflation seems to have cooled, uh, that is reflected in Delta Dental's 2024 original tooth fairy poll. (laughs) For the first time in five years, they say. The average value of a single lost tooth has declined. First time in five years they've seen uh, the amount for a a lost tooth actually go down in the Tooth Fairy poll. It seems the Tooth Fairy is, on average, shelling out $5.84 per tooth. That is down 6% from last year's figure of $6.23. And that even holds true for that precious first lost tooth, which is always extra special. The Tooth Fairy payout for the first lost tooth is down $0.20 from $7.29 last year to $7.09 this year. Now, it should be pointed out that where you live certainly plays a role in how much the Tooth Fairy leaves under the pillow. Kids out west are raking in the most dough for a lost tooth at $8.54 per. $8.54. Those in the northeast uh, are at $6.87 per. In the south, they get $5.51 per lost tooth. And unfortunately, sorry to say, kids in the Midwest, you are out of luck. Getting a measly three dollars and sixty three cents per lost tooth—that's a big disparity between the highest and lowest regionally there. But even three sixty three is pretty jaw dropping for me when I consider I used to get a quarter. When, <laughs> is that? It? get a quarter under the pillow, and we thought, "Wow! Now, good golly!" My wife Kyra has joined us in the studio this morning. Not delayed by the fog. <laughs> no. <Nope>. Home
2: home studio. <laughs> That's snuck because above. we're in the home studio this morning and <laughs> don't <laughs> safely, have to go out in this.
0: Safely ensconced in the bunker yep. until the fog burns That's off. It's looking
2: pretty good out there we, now. Uh, yeah,
0: it's uh it's starting to look better. Yeah. Uh, at least here, so <laughs> And, of course, if you're listening to the podcast uh, this morning, you have no idea what we're talking about. No. You'll be listening a couple of days later, not...
2: What?
0: What? <laughs> What's yeah. going
2: on there? Anyway,
0: we have another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen and uh, another uh, slow cooker recipe, another yes. cro- uh, crock pot recipe. Yep. And, uh, you know, we're still, we still have a little winter oh, left. Yeah. Yeah, well, um,
2: yeah. And yesterday was just so yucky. I was like, ah, yeah. I'm doing
0: crock pot. <laughs> crock pot. stuff. This is a slow cooker pizza soup. Yes. This pizza is soup. Soup. Okay,
2: so 28 ounce can of crushed tomatoes, a six ounce can of tomato paste, three cups of chicken broth, three tablespoons of ketchup, two tablespoons of dried basil, one tablespoon of onion powder, a quarter teaspoon of pepper flakes. Two tablespoons of uh, minced garlic, one tablespoon of dried Italian seasoning, one tablespoon of sugar, salt and pepper to taste, and then your favorite pizza toppings. So, add- and those could be anything. Yes. Yeah.
0: Traditional pepperoni, but Correct. then, yep. you know, anything, anything else.
2: So, add your crushed tomatoes, your tomato paste, your broth, your ketchup, your garlic, sugar, and seasonings to the slow cooker. Cook on low for four hours or on high for two hours. Uh, about a half an hour or so into the cooking, um, add the pe- your, all your favorite pizza toppings.
0: Okay, so you don't cook those quite as no, long.
2: No, so can even
0: use pineapple.
2: Yes. <laughs> I, maybe yeah I like pineapple on my pizza I don't know if I'd like it in my soup uh-huh. we'll, see, but we'll hey let me try, try it. it and let me know <laughs> so uh let it continue to cook on low for another 30 to 30 minutes to an hour and um, if you would like you can talk each serving with mozzarella cheese, that's optional, and but enjoy. But if it's,
0: if it's going to be true pizza soup, yeah. you got to have the cheese. Yes, so, yes.
2: There you go. But some people don't like cheese it's, in their soup, so. Mm. Slow
0: cooker pizza soup. Yes. That's a twist on a Friday, Friday night favorite. That's right. Friday yeah. night family favorite. Yep. Uh, to go along with that, we have uh, Italian sub pinwheels. Yes. So, so these are not... Full subs? No, or? yeah,
2: it's so it's so you use so the like bite size. Beef, yeah, they're like muffin size. Okay, yep. All right, so uh, thirteen point eight ounce. Uh, refrigerated pizza crust that's uh, <laughs> like in your your Pillsbury.
0: So or that's your, where you're going to use the crust since you're not using correct. it in the on the pizza, since you're doing pizza right. soup.
2: There you go. <laughs> one and a half tablespoons of olive oil, one tablespoon of balsamic vinegar, two teaspoons of dried oregano, two uh, tablespoons of dried parsley, a half a teaspoon of crushed red pepper flakes. And that's optional Um, in the same way with the pizza soup. If you don't like hot, don't add that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Salt to taste. Ham, salami, and pepperoni thinly sliced. One and a quarter cups of shredded mozzarella cheese. So preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Grease a 12-cup a muffin pan. Uh, take pizza dough out on and uh, put it on a lightly greased surface. Gently stretch or roll out the dough into uh, a rectangle. Um, that's about 12 by 15 inches. Combine your oil, vinegar, parsley, oregano salt, and crushed red pepper flakes in a small bowl whisk that together. Brush the pizza dough surface with the mixture, leaving about half an inch on one long edge unbrushed, and um, that's to help seal that um, when right. you're done. Yeah. Layer your ham, salami, and pepperoni, and one even layer. Cover the surface of the dough, but still leaving that one half of the inch uh, for sealing. Uh, spread mozzarella over the top of the meat evenly. Roll everything together on, a lo- on the long side. Um, start cut and then um, uh, gently press and roll all um, all the edges and make that everything sealed up. Seal that yeah. up. Seal everything up. Then place that uh, seal down. So okay. you want that to be down. Seal goes down seal in the, uh, down in the muffin, your, yeah, uh, muffin well, pan. Well, no, seal goes down and okay. then you cut. Oh,
1: okay. So then
2: you're going to cut each one of them with a serrated knife. And then place each pinwheel into a cup and then um, bake uh, for about 18 to 20 minutes, just depending on how how crispy you like it, until they're golden brown okay. on the edges. And the
0: cut side, the open side, obviously, yeah. would be up uh, on that. Yes. Okay, the Italian sub pinwheels to go with the slow cooker pizza soup. Yes. And then for dessert, our dessert recipe uh this morning is bakery style chocolate chip muffins. Yes.
2: So chocolate chip I don't know. That's just something that always goes well with like cook or with pizza and stuff like that. So I was like, I'm, like let's do this. Okay. Yes. So um two and a half cups of all purpose flour, one tablespoon of baking powder, one teaspoon of baking soda, a half a teaspoon of salt, a half a cup of butter melted and cooled one cup granulated sugar, two large eggs, one cup buttermilk. If you don't have buttermilk, you can just use regular milk, uh, any type of milk. Okay. Uh, One tablespoon of vanilla extract, one and a half cups of semi-sweet chocolate chips. So preheat your oven to 425 degrees. Spray twelve uh, cup muffin trays. So the muffin trays—they're actually a bigger. They're not like a cupcake. They're just a little bit bigger. Right. So if you don't have that, you can use your cupcake uh, ones. You're just going to have more muffins. So, makes sense. Yeah. So, um, spray those with nonstick cooking spray or line with parchment paper. In a large bowl, toss together the flour, the baking powder, the baking soda, salt, chocolate chips, and set aside. In a medium bowl, whisk together the melted butter, sugar, egg, milk, and vanilla. Slowly add the dry ingredients to the wet ingredients. Gently fold together until combined. Do not over stir this um, because it'll they just kind of get fluffy and they can get air holes and that. So this is one you don't want to over stir. Okay. So the divide the batter into your 12 muffin cups. Bake at 425 for five minutes. Then reduce the oven down to 350 and can you continue to bake for about another 15 to 20 minutes or until a toothpick insert. Uh, comes out clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not over-bake your ovens or they'll get dry. Yeah. Um, let cool for about five to ten minutes and enjoy.
0: You mentioned uh, you can use the cupcake pans if you don't have the muffin pan. Right. Or if you just want them to be a little bit smaller. Correct. Uh, because right. these, are, I mean, muffin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And if you do that, though, one big thing is is you'll want to reduce, because they're going to be smaller, you're going to want to reduce your time
0: in the oven. Oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. So uh, watch that very yeah. carefully. So watch that. And you mentioned you can use, uh, the recipe calls for buttermilk, but you can use uh, other, mm-hmm. do you need to adjust the amount of milk? No. Uh, Same for, amount of milk. Okay, all
2: right. Mm-hmm. Same Just amount Because
0: the buttermilk obviously would be much thicker, thicker. than say uh 2% yeah, or something. No, so. okay. Same type of milk. All right, very good. Uh The uh, recipes for the slow cooker pizza soup, the Italian sub pinwheels, and the bakery style chocolate chip muffins can be found on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page, right? Yep. At Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN. Follow her for uh, more recipes and uh, all of each week's highlighted recipes at Kyra's Kitchen, W-F-I-N on Facebook. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday, the countdown continues to April's big show, now just six weeks away. We'll talk to the author of a new children's book all about the solar eclipse and how to get your kids excited for an event we won't see again in Ohio for another 75 years. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.